this is an artistic representation reflecting the darkest chapter in the Bible. What we're studying this morning, Revelation chapter 16. This is found in uh, the Sistine Chapel. Now you you went to Italy, didn't you? Did did you go to the yes. Sistine Chapel? Yeah. Did you see this? Uh, uh, you prob you probably did, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. focus in on the details. Yeah, yeah. This is a a isolated detail of Michelangelo's Last Judgment, showing Charon, the ferryman, who escorts the damned to hell, and uh, perhaps a uh, suitable introduction to uh, what we're dealing with this morning. As, as I said, it's the darkest chapter in the Bible. This is the uh, final judgment of God upon humanity, the seven bowls. Now, just to back up, remember the purpose statement that we suggested to you and uh, this, this I got from Mark Hitchcock, and I, I think it's really a very, very good purpose statement. Uh, to give believers the advanced history of how Jesus Christ, through judgment, becomes king, with a view towards calling them to faithfulness and to godliness. Now, you'll remember that there are actually three sequences that uh, that bring us uh, to these uh, the so-called waves of judgment and uh, three sevens. Uh, we have the um, these three series of judgments, three waves of judgments, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then this morning we'll be looking at the seven bowls. So there's these three series of judgments in Revelation that move the action forward. First we looked at the seals, then we saw the trumpets, and this is to give you just a little bit of a, of a timeline as to where these are, um, these are fitting. The seals are found, can you see that? Can you see it? What chapter? Six. Chapter six. And the trumpets uh, are there in chapters 8 and 9. And so these uh, three movements, and this gives you just a little bit of, a, of a, uh, an idea of how it lays out with regard to the chapters. Uh, first, there, is the, uh, there are the seals in chapter 6. And there, there, there's kind of a pattern in the seals and the trumpets, a four and three pattern. Uh, in the four, in the seals, what the what are the four? The horsemen. Yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, actually, we don't see the seventh seal until we get into the actually the trumpets that the the seventh seal actually uh, telescopes into the seven trumpets and uh, we get a we get a four and then a three in the seals and then in the trumpets we get a four and a three and what are the three the three woes if you'll remember that. Uh, and then the sixth trumpet actually is an introduction or telescopes into the seven bowls. So the seals are in chapter six, and I, I, I'll be making you a uh, copy of all these slides that are, are, are of significance uh, on the next Lord's Day. I do have some other materials here that we'll pass out toward the end, uh, some charts that are, are very helpful, and we'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, so the seals, and then we have an interlude in chapter 7, 
And then uh, in chapters 8 and 9, we have the, uh, the trumpets. And then the second interlude uh, in chapters 10, 11, and through the first part of chapter 15. And then uh, chapter 16 introduces us to the, to the bowls or the vials. It depends on how it's translated. Now, the book of Revelation has been called a great book uh, because the word great is found 82 times in the book of Revelation. And here you can see in this chart the distribution of the, uh, the occurrences of the word great. Now, the great book has what is called, I think, a great chapter. And that chapter happens to be the one we're studying this morning and looking at this morning. And that's chapter 16. It's been called, uh, chapter 16 has been called the great chapter of the Bible because the Greek word has been, is found 11 times in, this, uh, in the Greek text. So out of the 82 times in the uh, in the book, 11 times here in the 16th chapter, which has caused some to describe it as the great chapter. And it is certainly great in a, uh, in a disturbing sense. Well, let's... Uh, get right into the uh, the book itself, the chapter itself. Uh, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 1. Uh, this is from the New King James Version. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. Now, if you'll recall... When the trumpet judgments occurred, the angels were commissioned one at a time. But notice here in this verse, all seven angels are commissioned at the same time. And so this will happen very quickly in a brief period of time right before the second coming of Christ. And it has to be close to the second coming of Christ because of the intensity and the severity of these judgments, because uh, hardly anyone would survive in the midst of them. Remember back in uh, the seals, the um, which seal was it where a quarter of humanity perished? Anybody recall? Which seal? Third seal. Fourth. Fourth seal. Fourth seal. The, the pale horse. So a quarter of humanity perished there. And then in the seventh trumpet, another third of humanity perished. So we have probably half of the world's population that has perished. So they were commissioned one at a time uh, in the, with the trumpets, but here... They're all commissioned at the same time, and it'll happen very uh, quickly. And here you can see the order of events as it's laid out. Um, now, I know that not everybody will agree with uh, when the rapture of the church takes place. There's some, uh, the, the, the pre-trib rapture says it'll take place before the uh, Antichrist Peace Treaty, and there are some that actually, let's see if I can get a pointer up here. There are some that hold that the, uh, the rapture takes place in the middle of the tribulation, and there are some that say that it takes place uh, about three-quarters of the way through. The, this is called uh, the... Um, uh, 
the pre-wrath view, and then there are those that say that uh, the rapture actually takes place in connection with the second coming of Christ. Um, we won't go into the various views of that. But remember, in the order of events, the seal judgments occur, uh, we feel, and this is not, this is not uh, explicitly stated, uh, but it's, it's inferred that these uh, seal judgments took place in the first half of the Great Tribulation. Uh, then the treaty is broken, of course, and uh, then perhaps in the second half of the, of the tribulation, these seven trumpet judgments, and then finally uh, the seven bowls. Um, as I said, the bowls come at the very end because of their severity and their intensity, these bowls must be poured out at the end of the tribulation. No one have been, would have been able to survive them. And each angel has a specific target, land, sea, worshipers of the beast, and so forth. Uh, unlike the other judgments, with the bowls, we see the human response to what is taking place. It's amazing. The response is not positive. It's a threefold response. And we can see that in the following verses of Revelation 16. And the men were scorched with great heat. And what did they do? They blasphemed the name of God, who is the power over these plagues. And they didn't repent and give him glory. And then in verse 11, we see again, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they didn't repent of their deeds. And then in the very last verse of the chapter, the great hailstone, the great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone weighed about the weight of a talent. Uh, that's been variously figured as somewhere between uh, 57 to 100 pounds. Uh, huge. Uh, huge. Huge. Uh, ice blocks <laughs> and what did man do men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great now if you have a study Bible and many of the study Bibles have this and Jim Jim and I on the way over were comparing um, his his study Bible he has a uh, he has a copy of one of the versions of the op open Bible and um, it looks like I'm going to have to find him another one. He's about read that one to pieces. Jim, uh, Jim Miller, uh, if you haven't uh, met him, Jim's a neighbor of mine. Uh, we've known ourselves for a long time. Uh, he attended uh, where I was pastoring there. He lives right in our neighborhood in, in, near Wilson High School. And uh, Jim is a very wonderful committed Christianly drywall man. <laughs> so if you need drywall, you can uh, you, you, you can see Jim. Jim. Jim is also a, a very, very good Bible teacher. In fact, later this afternoon, he'll be leading uh, teaching in a, a home church in Federal Way. So I'm glad to have this critic here with me this morning. Uh, he's been a blessing to me and my family. But um, Jim and I were looking at uh, the question of um, uh, the bold judgments and the uh, judgments that came upon Egypt. Uh, the bold judgments are similar in, in a sense to the ten plagues in Egypt. Uh, let me move this a little bit. The reason for the similarities is that we're dealing with the same kind of a situation. Who is the key figure in Egypt? The Pharaoh. Yeah, Pharaoh that God is dealing with. And who is the key figure that is here 
in the book of Revelation? Besides our Lord Jesus Christ. The Antichrist. The Antichrist. Uh, the beast. But we're dealing with the same situation. Pharaoh was told to let God's people go. But instead of letting them go, he threw down the gauntlet and he issued a challenge to the Lord. Uh, the plagues were God's answer to Pharaoh's challenge. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So God says, well, I'll let you get to know me. <laughs> and uh, only six of the ten plagues appear in the trumpet in bold judgment. Uh, plagues three, the gnats. Plague four, the flies. Plague five, the animal pestilence. And plague ten, death of the firstborn, don't appear uh, in, in the uh, bold judgments. But, but the interesting thing is that there, Pharaoh was looked upon in Egypt as a deity. He, he was looked upon as a, as a god. And uh, he, he uh, in, in Egypt, there was a, um, there was an orderliness. There was what is known as ma'ah. And I haven't done a, a great deal of reading on it, but as I understand it, this ma'ah was uh, where this orderliness came in Egypt. And out of all of the nations, Egypt was one of the most orderly nations uh, in civilization because, uh, you know, the, the, because of the weather and, and the, uh, the Nile River uh, overflowing and receding at the same time. So that, and Pharaoh was in charge of this ma'a, so to speak, the, this orderliness and this, this uh, uh, peacefulness that, uh, that was mentioned in, in, in relation to this ma'a. Certainly our country, as we've seen this week, is not experiencing ma'a. It's, uh, it's experiencing uh, turmoil. Um, so let's come to um, the first the first bowl. Uh, some type of a um, melanoma or uh, cancer. I guess that's what melanoma is. Or boils or or whatever. So the first went, the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped worshipped his image. I can remember when I was uh, a teenager, I got a I got a carbuncle on my elbow, and oh, it's, that was awful. <laughs> It was, uh, I had to hold my arm just so and in a sling and, well, I finally got over that. But I, I, when I read this, I always think of that. Uh, I don't know just precisely what this loathsome sore was, but uh, th this bowl is selective. It affects the people who have the mark of the beast and who worship his image. The remnant who believe in Revelation are not included in this. So in this, again, we see God's control. And the, the uh, magicians of Egypt, when they, they were able to uh, duplicate many of the, uh, uh, of the initial uh, plagues that came on. It shows you the power of Satan to deceive and to counterfeit. And uh, finally, they came to the place where they, they couldn't duplicate it, and they, they realized 
then the magi magicians uh, uh, said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. The plagues were attacks on the pantheon of Egyptians' God, Egyptian gods as well as on Pharaoh himself. So this ma'a, the natural order of things, uh, it, it gets all messed up in Egypt. Um, and so by messing up the natural order of things, God was showing that he was more uh, powerful. And we see this again in Revelation 16. The Antichrist is ruling the world as their God. In fact, what does he... What, what does he blasphemously do? You remember? It's your... Goes into the temple and declares himself to be God. Yeah. Goes into the temple and, and declares himself to be God. The Antichrist is ruling the world as their God. He, uh, he claims to have all of the answers. And all of a sudden... God disturbs his ma'a. <laughs> he brings chaos. And the order is completely upset. And the Antichrist is humiliated. Uh, it's like uh, one, one person has said it's like uh, God comes and, and um, says, well, we'll just replay Egypt and only instead of just limited to the nation of Egypt. This comes upon the whole world. So um, we come now to the, uh, the second angel, and this is the uh, blood into the sea. Now you remember back in, um, I think it was the third trumpet, wasn't it, that a third of the sea was affected? Uh, The fact that everything in the sea dies gives weight to the idea that these things happen at the end of the tribulation. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died. That, that's uh, exceedingly... Um, and this... This has to do with verses 4 through 7. Then the third angel poured out his uh, bowl on the rivers and the springs of water where they were getting their drinking water. And they became blood. The water sources in the world become putrid pools of stinking death all over the world. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord the one who is and who was and who is to be because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, uh, you are true and righteous are your judgments. Now, some, some may object that uh, God's judgment is unjust. But just look at verses six, 5 and 6 again. Um, lest we feel, start feeling sorry for these people, an angel is reminding us that these people deserve what they're getting. Several months ago we saw 20 young men kneeling by the seashore because of their Christian faith they were decapitated and killed by people similar to what are described in connection with this because you have judged these, judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and have given them blood to drink for it is their just due uh, many of the believers who uh, come to know the Lord Jesus and believe in him during the great tribulation and 
some have been of the opinion that perhaps the greatest revival in the history of humanity is going to take place during the Great Tribulation. And many of these people will be martyred and killed. Verse uh, 6 particularly says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Verse 7, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Well, you think it's the darkest chapter in the Bible? It really is, isn't it? Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. The scorching upon the sun. Uh, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent or give him glory. Uh, I guess we could call this the real global warming. God is causing people to be scorched with fierce heat. We see the first response of the people on the earth to the bulls. In, in verse 9, they blaspheme the name of God. They blaspheme the name of God and they don't repent so as to give him the glory. That's seen here in, in verse 9 and then also in chapter 11, uh, or in verse 11, and they blaspheme God. And then in verses 12 through 14, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Now remember, Euphrates, uh, the river has uh, been mentioned previously where four angels were at its waters. And it says that uh, the angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, where they are the spirit of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together or to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So, you know, the, the Euphrates, as I understand it, is... is dammed up so much that uh, at times uh, there's hardly any water now that that uh, comes from the Euphrates. Uh, I don't know how that ties in or what what might be involved, but it says here that it's going to be dried up. Uh, you'll remember back at the fifth trumpet, we saw the four angels bound at the river Euphrates. And so this is the second mention of the Euphrates River in Revelation. These uh, mentions of uh, the Euphrates, oops, what am I doing here? These mentions of the Euphrates may be allusions to the fact that Babylon will be significant in the end times. In fact, uh, Chapters 17 and 18 have to do with the subject of Babylon. Uh, the Euphrates River was the far eastern border of the Roman Empire. And on the other side of the Roman Empire were the pesky who? Parthians? Right, the Parthians, the Persians. And uh, constant... Uh, source of um, Dave did you did you ever come across that ma uh, did you, you when you studied Egypt yes yeah. yeah the Pharaoh was responsible for making sure the sun came up and went down properly yeah yeah uh, 
all the enemies of Israel would come in from that area. And the Euphrates River is dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. Well, who are the kings of the east? Anybody got an idea? Well, in a survey of 100 commentaries on the book of Revelation, there were 50 different opinions as to who the kings of the east were. That doesn't mean we can't uh, figure it out in some way or another, but um, not as easy as um, might be thought. There's a lot of controversial things <coughs> in the book of Revelation, but I just suggest to you that don't get bogged down in those things until you get a grasp of the overview of, of the uh, of the book as a whole. Um, I, I prepared some charts um, here that come from this uh, this little book. And this book is out of print, but there's lots of copies of it available used on the internet. And uh, if you don't, you don't know how to get a hold of things on the internet or whatever, <coughs> you can see me and I, I'll order you a copy of anything you might want to get hold of. This is written by uh, Irving Jensen. It's Revelation, a self-study guide. And it's an inductive study. Uh, read the verses, fill in the blanks, uh, uh, and there's, there's quite a few charts in it that are really helpful. And, uh, I've prepared a chart here with the, uh, of the overview of the entire book and then of Revelation 10 through 22 and Revelation 6 through 9. And then there's a comparison chart of uh, the bowl judgments com com compared to these. You want to pass these on? Here? Um, in verse 13 we see mention of the unholy trinity these frogs come out first from where mouth of the dragon and who's the dragon? Satan. Satan. And out of the mouth of the beast, which is another name for Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirit of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God. Um, so the dragon is Satan, the beast is Antichrist, and the false prophet is like an anti-spirit. Uh, frogs are an allusion back uh, to the plague in Egypt. They are demon spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And then we have this interesting admonition here. And we put, put this in red because we believe it's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ saying, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What is this basically saying? Be ready. Be ready. I once heard a fellow tell me, he says, well, he said, I'll, I'll just uh, kind of follow along in my, my uncommitted way and uh, I'll separate my se myself from these things that please the Lord are unpleasing to the Lord when I'm sure that uh, he may be coming or... Um, when I know that my time is coming. And this, this admonition flies in the face of that. Behold, I am coming as a thief. You know, we never know when our time 
is going to be. You know, he may come today. He may delay. But he may come for you today. So we need to be aware that he is coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, we look at this holy trinity and we see that Satan is the dragon, uh, the Antichrist is the beast, and the Anti-Spirit is the false prophet. And um, as we see, we are to behold and, and keep ourselves. Now this doesn't, uh, I, I'm convinced that this doesn't pertain to us, but um, it is an admonition that's um, certainly applicable to us. Grace is offered even in the face of persistent and shameless rejection. Uh, so writes Charles Ryrie on this verse. And the beatitude is the third of seven that are found in Revelation. We find, find uh, these seven blessings or beatitudes in chapter 1, 3, 14, 13, here in 16, 15, 19, 9, 20, chapter 20, verse 6, and 22, verse 7, and 22, verse 14. It promises the blessing of God for those who remain faithful in the critical hours that lie ahead. And then we come to this interesting passage. Um, and they gathered them together in the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, Revelation 16, 16 is the only mention of the word Armageddon in the New Testament. In, in Hebrew, the word har actually means a mountain or hill or a mountain range. Um, when you traveled, did you go and see this? Yeah, we traveled uh, west to east across the plains of Megiddo. Okay. Oh, you were blessed in that regard. Um, Megiddo is a location in Israel. It's uh, of the opinion that it's a raised, defensible, strategic area that is 21 miles long by 14 miles wide and overlooks the valley of Jezreel. It's been called the world's perfect battlefield by uh, Napoleon, as I understand it. We're never told why the armies are gathered at Megiddo. There are different theories. Some say the armies will assemble to destroy the Antichrist. People, because of all of these seals and trumpets that have taken, they've had their fill of them. The problem with this view is that these are, that these unclean spirits come out of the mouth of Satan the beast and the false prophet and uh, out of, out of uh, the Antichrist himself. Why would they gather armies to destroy themselves? It's more likely that they're gathered to, once and for all, to destroy the Jewish people and to conquer Israel. Whatever the reason, they come to fight. And when they see uh, Jesus returning, they turn against Jesus to fight against him. And the campaign of Armageddon is a war. It's not just a single event. Uh, the troops will gather at Armageddon, but the battle will engulf the entire land of Israel. And Babylon, we're, uh, we'll read, is destroyed during the campaign of Armageddon. So here we see the Hebrew word har, which means a mountain, a hill, or a mountain range. Here we see 
a historic uh, picture of Megiddo in this uh, in this valley in this valley right that stretches down this way. Here's a a um, here's an aerial shot of um, Megiddo and. Doesn't look like much of a mountain or a hill, does it? <laughs> Here's another, another shot of uh, of it, and here's a uh, a uh, picture of a great saint of God, Herman Hoyt, and uh, Dr. Hoyt taught for years and was the president of Grace College and Grace Theological Seminary and went on a lake in Indiana. And Dr. Hoyt wrote this about the Battle of Armageddon. The phenomenal aspect will gather about the Battle of Armageddon with which the tribulation period will come to a close. The staggering dimensions of the conflict can scarcely be conceived by man. The battlefield will stretch from Megiddo on the north to Edom on the south. And he gives us accompanying scripture references for this. A distance of <coughs> 1,600 furlongs, approximately, approximately 200 miles. It will reach from the Mediterranean Sea on the west to the hill, hill of, hills of Moab on the east. A distance of almost 100 miles. It will include the valley of Jehoshaphat and the plains of Estrelon. And the center of the entire area will be the city of Jerusalem. This is Zechariah 14, 1 and 2. Into this area, the multiplied millions of men, doubtless approaching 400 million, will be crowded for the final holocaust of humanity. The kings with their armies will come from the north and the south, from the east and from the west. And there will be an invasion from hell beneath. And entering the scene at the last moment will be an invasion from outer space. The Lord Jesus coming. In the most dramatic sense, this will be the valley of decision for humanity. And the great wine press in which will be poured the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Uh, this is from Hoyt's book, The End Times. Excellent book. It's old, it's out of print, but there are used copies available. So, uh, in fact, let me say that I think um, one of the best books on prophecy in print today, I used to recommend, of course, uh, very thoroughly, uh, uh, Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost's Things to Come, but uh, things, the problem with Things to Come is it was his doctoral dissertation. And it's, it's not exactly easy to read, but um, uh, Dr. Paul Benware has written a book called Understanding Bible Prophecy. Just an excellent book. Our, our Tuesday night uh, study group uh, virtually crawled through that book uh, mentally on our hands and knees and looking, looking up every scripture reference. The thing I want you to know about Armageddon, because the word is tossed around like apocalypse today in kind of a, a, a casual sense. Armageddon is a real place where something real is going to happen. And it's not just a, a figurative expression. Uh, on September... Second, 1945, in Tokyo Bay, what took place? In, in, in the war with Japan. Uh, this was the surrender of Japan. Let's see, see if I can... And Douglas MacArthur 
this is part of the speech he made there on the de deck of which ship? Missouri. Missouri. Where it used to be? Bremerton. But uh, I guess we'll bequeath it to Harry Truman. But MacArthur said, military alliances, balances of power, leagues of nations all in turn failed, leaving the only path to be by way of the crucible of war. The utter destructiveness of war now blocks out this alternative. We have had our last chance. If we will not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. Well, we have not done that. And we could say that in an absolute sense, what everybody is striving for today is um, with the turmoil and what's taking place in our country. People, what, what do people want? They want justice. They want fairness. They want peace. And they want love. But they want it without, for the most part, the only one who can give those things, our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a voice, a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the, from the throne, saying, It is done. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone weighed about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceeding, exceedingly great. So the seventh bowl, earthquake and hail. Um, those that say that all of these events are for the most part occurred either in the vicinity of or shortly after the, the, the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. What do we call that view? Preterist. Yeah, the preterist view. Uh, preterists claim that these hailstones are actually the ballista stones that were used in the catapults that were thrown against the city of Jerusalem. Well, I guess if you hold to that, um, that's an interesting departure from what it literally says. They try to find a way to make this fit 70 AD, but these hailstones are literal and they come down from heaven. I can remember when I was in seminary at Dallas uh, in one spring it hailed. I had never seen hail like that before, and it was it was tame hail, but the hailstones were between the size of uh, golf balls and tennis balls. There weren't very many of the tennis ball size, but uh, uh, believe me, you 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 stayed out of the way when they were falling. But these hailstones are literal, and they come down from heaven. We would think at this point mankind would get the message, but we again see the depravity of man in verse 21 as people blaspheme God. There were noising, noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city of the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her cup, to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. A few weeks ago, I was watching a, a program on prophecy watchers where Brent Miller was giving a presentation uh, of um, 
what he uh, thought to be the cause of the Noahic flood. And he felt that the Noahic flood owed itself to a polar shift in which uh, the uh, polar axis of the earth actually changed. That prior to that, it was... Uh, but uh, Miller went on to say that he feels that uh, what will take place here in, is described in Revelation uh, chapter uh, 20 and 21 is some, uh, somewhat uh, of a different type of a, of a shift, a, a crustal shift. And uh, he didn't go into it in great de detail, but uh, it, it certainly sounded plausible. And especially when we read what it says over in, Re in Isaiah, chapter 24 and 20, verse 20. And it says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and it shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Revelation 16.5 and I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, and who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and he, they see his shame. And so, we have dealt with the darkest chapter of the Bible. But thank God that one way or another, we will escape this, this judgment that the Lord is going to bring upon all of the earth. We can bless and praise his name for the calm assurance that we will have, that we can have that, be partakers of that great promise that he has given to us, the promise of forgiveness of sin and eternal life with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your blessings upon us and your goodness to us. And we thank you for this which we have read. And though we may not know in detail uh, what will come, we certainly know who will come, even our Savior and Sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Ken. And as with Arnie, you know, I...